Well, tonight, I wanted to share with you a personal experience that I had as a minister. I was on staff at a church. It was a large church. The uh, church was running about 5,000 people at the time. And I was a youth pastor there, and we had a large uh, youth staff of volunteers, but then also some youth pastors that worked for us. And it was in one of our staff meetings at the church. And what we would do as a church, and this was a lot of fun, this part anyway, there was about 60 employees of the church. There were 15 of us that were pastors over different departments at the church, and then, then a, a, the support staff all included, about 60 uh, on staff. And we would get together once a month for a staff kind of a meeting, all everybody, and we would share lunch together, and we would occasionally have a training or a teaching or something like that. It would usually be once a month. But then what happened is this one month in particular, we knew something was strange because our pastor of the church, and the, and the, the setup of the church was a little different than some churches. It was, um, it was large enough that it was run more like a business in a way. We had an executive pastor that managed all the pastors, and then the pastor, everybody called the pastor, was really the speaking pastor. He wasn't even the senior pastor, technically. He was the speaking pastor. And he was the personality that the church had grown up under. And, you know, a lot of people followed his teaching and the books he'd written and all that kind of thing. But we knew something had happened because we had these unscheduled uh, guest speakers. But as staff members, we didn't know anything. But then what ended up happening was he came to the meeting and he said, I am sorry, I'm going to disappoint some of you today, but I'm experiencing what some people call a dark night of the soul. And I'd heard of that before, but I couldn't place what it was that I, where I'd heard it before. And basically what he said is, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with my purpose, with faith, with everything, and I'm taking an undetermined leave of absence. And he walked out. And we were all sitting there like, oh, great, okay, what does that even mean? And uh, we all had questions that no one could answer. And the executive pastor got up and she said, I'm very sorry that was so short and abrupt, but you now know everything that we know, and we don't know when this will end or even what's going to happen. And uh, so we went to a time of prayer, and it was a powerful time of prayer, but we still walked out of there with a lot of questions like, well, what is going on with him. And then, of course, the practical questions, you know, that go with a church like that, when you're, you have somebody who's kind of a personality, who's kind of the church is built around in a lot of ways, you know, that can, the church can suffer financially if that person's not in the pulpit and on and on and on. So we did have a string of uh, guest speakers and it lasted like five weeks or something like that. But it was really a difficult time, and I remember trying to even conceptualize how does that, what does that even mean? And uh, I, was, I just kind of put in some pictures here that, but basically, this may be something that you've experienced. Basically, what was happening is this, this person who, who had been a minister for a long time and built this church and done a lot of things and had a lot of successes was really going through an experience spiritually and emotionally that, that he couldn't process, and he was really struggling and through that, it was, it, was, it, was, um, it was kind of frightening even because you don't expect that out of a leader. And you wonder, well, wouldn't all that stuff have been taken care of by now? I mean, if you have questions or if there's things that are going to shake your faith or you're going to wonder where you're going in life, wouldn't that have already been taken care of? You know, a lot of people, in fact, a lot of the ministers in the meeting were, were angry 
Like, why in the world would you subject this whole church and all these people and all these, all these people's really jobs? I mean, what are you thinking? It was frustrating. And I remember uh, trying to process through that and thinking, I want to have some sympathy and I want to try to understand, but it was difficult for me to understand. What are you doing? What is happening? And maybe you felt like this. I don't know. But it was a deep, deep, dark time for, for this pastor as he was going through it. Some of these pictures may, may kind of elicit that kind of a thought. As I was looking at them, some of them kind of look spooky, but that's how he felt. And he didn't write these or anything. I just kind of looked these up, just kind of reference. But it's kind of this, this feeling of alone. And, and this, what I'm going to talk about next has nothing to do with him. For him, it was just something personally. He didn't have any moral failure or anything like that. And when he came back, he came back strong and things were good. But it got me to thinking, and I've been thinking about it for years. I mean, this was probably 12, 13 years ago that this happened. But I, I've thought about that before, and I've kind of done some research and looked into people who've had these kind of things. And what I've seen is that for some people, these kind of experiences can be brought on by their own bad choices. Maybe you've seen this in other people where they start, something in their world crashes, and so they start to doubt everything because nothing makes sense anymore. I've seen people go through this when they maybe experience a moral failure that they caused. Maybe they had a DUI and, and everything got upset, or maybe they were arrested for something, or financially went through bankruptcy or the marriage was struggling or I've seen people go through bad business arrangements where they're losing everything and nothing makes sense and the person they trusted uh, took everything or failed them in such a way that they themselves are wondering does it make sense how does this work then they start to question everything else in life more often I've seen it brought on by by other people like maybe their husband or wife left and because of that their their anchor in life was was shaken, and then they can't figure out what else should go wrong. Maybe a death, maybe, maybe even, you know, Jeremy, thinking about these people losing that baby, I've seen people kind of question when they go through something like that that just doesn't make sense, and there's no reasonable answer. Why would this happen? And because of that, they start to shake, everything gets shaken. Or maybe they get, lose a job out of the blue, they didn't see it coming, and they thought everything was great. And now everything that they had planned for, savings and everything gets depleted. And what is going on? See, people, I know this is crazy and some of you will think it's really dumb, but I've even seen this happen with people when politics, when the vote doesn't go the way they thought it should go. I really have. When maybe the president, presidential vote didn't happen the way they really thought God would make it happen. And because it didn't happen that way, they start to question everything. It's as if their anchor was in the wrong place, maybe. And because of that, everything is shaken. I've seen people do it when, when maybe their career isn't happening the way it should. And, and, and some people might look at it as a midlife crisis, but it's not just a crisis where, you know, one or two things get questioned, but everything gets questioned. Maybe their kids are not going the direction they should or, or, or things are happening with their family. And as a, re, as a, as a result of that, they go into a spiritual sense of confusion where nothing adds up anymore. And they start to question, you know, the way scripture was written, or they start to question things that used to be, they used to be so sure about. The worst part about it, what I've seen in people is where they lose a sense of confidence in God. They wonder, is he even there? Or is the God I've served or thought I served all my life is really God? A sense that they pray and the, the prayers just bounce right off the ceiling and they can't feel him anymore. 
I was remembering a time where someone who I know, I knew them, I knew they, they had an experience with God, but they were sitting in my office. This is years ago. Another person was sitting in my office, and they just said, I don't feel God anymore. I don't feel him. I try and try and try, but I don't feel him. And I was talking to him and I said, but God, you know, our relationship with him isn't based on feelings. Feelings come and go. And, and the whole time I kept saying, but you know that, you know that as well as I do. Why are you so shaken? And they said, I don't think you understand. I feel completely cold and I didn't understand. And I've never experienced that. And as I was talking to them, I was trying to relate. But as they're talking, it was as if everything that they had once knew knew was real, they doubted, and they couldn't sense or feel God at all. They said, I've reached out to him, and I've cried out to him, and I've stayed up all night, and there's nothing there. I feel an emptiness that I can't even put a finger on. I'm so confused. So there's this dark night of the soul. That I had to look it up after, after our pastor came in and said that that day. It just, I was thinking, what is I know I know that phrase. So here's where it comes from. Back in the 16th century of all things, there was a Spanish monk and mystic named St. John of the Cross, and he wrote a poem which was called in Spanish, The Dark Night of Confusion. It's an eight stanza poem. It's not very long. And what it does is it chronicles a person's uh, descent into confusion, spiritual confusion, but it doesn't stop there. What it does then is, is, it, is it kind of, you know, being a good Catholic, it kind of implies that a person has to go through something similar to the, the suffering that Christ did. And remember when, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember he said that on the cross? So in this poem, this, this Catholic mystic says that we all go through that time where we feel like God has abandoned us, but then we work our way back to him, and because we've been so deep and dark in darkness, then our exaltation and our experience with him is heightened because we've walked that path. That's where that saying comes from. That's where that phrase comes from. He says, the soul must pass through a personal experience of Christ's passion, a time of testing and agony, accompanied by confusion, fear, and uncertainty, including doubts of God. But on the other side are Christ's glory, serenity, and mystical union. And what he says is, if you have never experienced that, then you will. I laughed too, Pat. Pat laughed just now. Here's the thing. I know good people, really good, solid Christians who have experienced those type of things. But I wanted to talk with you about it a little bit tonight because none of that's in Scripture, just so you know. None of that is in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you have to walk down that path and come to a point where you feel like abandoning God before you come back to him. It's not like that. Now, what is true about Scripture Jesus did promise persecution, and some Christians are surprised by that. And I think part of that is because we live in, in such a convenient and a, such a comfortable world in America as Christians. You know, most of the time our faith isn't really challenged a whole lot you know, outside of, I know, I know recently, more recently than ever, probably it's challenged in the media or on TV or maybe beliefs that we've held dear or challenged now in sitcoms and that kind of thing. But But for the most part, America is a pretty comfortable place to be a Christian. So when we read 
things in scripture, like for instance, reading this, do you not, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me. Naturally, they will persecute you. And if they'd listened to me, they would listen to you. Jesus promised in another place. He said, if you are going to follow me, you will have persecution in this world. It will happen. So some Christians are surprised by that. So there's times where you may experience that, but that's not the same thing as the other. But the thing is, even though he said we would experience persecution, he also promised us peace. He did. And let's look at that. I am leaving you with a gift, he says in John 14, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He gives us a gift, and that gift the world cannot give. Now, maybe you, like me, I've talked to people who, you know, just a lot of times friends, but, but even strangers sometimes who seem so unsettled in the world. And that doesn't surprise me, because that is the way of the world. The world is a scary, shaky place. The difference is that Jesus promised us peace in the middle of that shakiness and in the middle of the fearful world. He promised us a peace that the world cannot give. It's a supernatural gift of peace. Totally different. Beyond that, even in Hebrews chapter 13 says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you ever. This is a quote from the Old Testament, actually, where God promised that to his people. He would never leave us alone. Why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this because um, it can happen to, to people and other people. But if you are ever in a place like that, what I want you to do is remind yourself that no matter how I feel, no matter how the world looks or how bleak and dark it appears, no matter how hopeless, no matter how confusing or confused, I want you to be able to step back and relate and, and hold on to these truths and these promises because this will never change. He will never leave you. If you feel left, it's a feeling because he is still there. This person that was in my office that day and talking about how they couldn't feel or sense God as I talked to them more about it, I said, well, what, what kind of feelings are you trying to get? What is it that you're trying to experience that you used to experience and you're not experiencing now? And as they described it, I didn't tell them this because it sounded too cruel, but it, as they were describing it, we you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me a little bit of puppy love or that kind of exaltation you feel of that first love experience where you're just kind of washed over and that's not real not a real relationship because real relationships aren't like that real relationships have an ebb and flow to them where yeah sometimes you're feeling you know super emotional and romantic and other times you're, you're not but you're still in relationship see the difference what he was looking for was something that was kind of a kind of a, a feeling that that really he wanted to manufacture and have all the time but as we did talk about it, the fact is a mature relationship with God isn't always going to feel like that. I, I mean, maybe we wish it would, but it's not really like that because that's not real love. I was reminded, too, of used to be a bumper sticker I see once in a while. It would say, it would say, no God, no peace with N-O. So if there's no God, you have no peace. And then it would also say, but if you know God, 
like knowing relationally, then you will know peace. It reminded me, there's that Hebrew word shalom. You know, Jews often greet each other with that term. That term actually means peace with God, peace in relationship with God, the kind of relationship that, that you're comfortable in because the person doesn't have to perform or doesn't have to, to do anything special because you, you're comfortable in knowing you still have the relationship. Regardless of whatever's going on around, the, world, the whole world can be in turmoil, but that doesn't affect the fact that you are still in relationship and the comfort is there. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, he says, Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. I wanted to draw something out here because it says, We have been made right in God's sight by faith. <laughs> Being made right in God's sight is no longer an act of our will. It's no longer something that we sacrifice for or we say, God, I'm going to pay you to be right in your sight. doesn't work that way. What happens is we, by faith, say, God, I am sorry for what I've done that's wrong. And then we, by faith, know that he has forgiven us. And his forgiveness is what gives us peace. But it's something that we acquire by faith. We don't earn it. There's a difference there. And sometimes that faith part is tricky for us because because of that, we want to feel something. And I think it's almost like if we could just pay for it, it's almost like we could own it and grab it and grasp it more. But that's not how he set it up. He didn't set it up that way because it's, it's based on what he has done for us. So the only way to acquire that is by faith and believing in him may not sometimes be as physically satisfying, but it's more real. And the peace he gives us is peace in knowing that our relationship with him is secure because of that. And then in Ephesians, Paul writes, for he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. This is even probably harder to to grasp in a way because it is so not physical, it is so otherworldly. You can't even point to it. You can't even, you know, there's times where maybe you felt this like this sometimes that, that sometimes it's difficult to have a conversation with God because it's, it's different than talking with, with a friend of yours or your spouse because they're right there and you can see the facial expression and they can nod and then they, they, they audibly respond and it's totally different. This is even further removed from that where he is saying because of our relationship with God that Christ has seated us in heavenly realms. And I don't know about you, but I never feel like that. I never feel like I'm sitting, I'm personally sitting in heavenly realms. I, I, in my mind, I think, well, in the future, that could be maybe in heaven when we're in heaven. But Paul is talking about now. He's saying we are now that way. So there are going to be times in our lives where as you look at the physical concrete world, you don't feel saved and secure. You don't feel like you're right with God. You don't feel like everything's together. But what Paul is saying here is it goes way beyond your feelings. It goes so far beyond your feelings that if you've accepted Christ into your life and you've asked him for forgiveness, then you have this mystical union with Christ that seats you in heavenly realms with him. 
That's hard for me to get my mind around. It's really hard, but that is more true than what I see in this room today. We're already seated, already happened. It's something that's already been done. I wanted to point this out too. The Jesus, Jesus and the apostles, they never once talked about a dark night of the soul. They never w- talked about that you go through some painful process to acquire this relationship with God. That's, that's really a concept that's more of, of paganism and non-Christian thinking than Christian thinking. Because in non-Christian thinking, you earn it by some painful experience. And I've told you this before, but as a kid growing up in the Philippines, we, when we first moved there, we lived off the base in a military compound. And what that was is a compound. When I say compound, it was literally walled. It was really a tall wall and it had glass on the top and barbed wire and all that. And everybody who lived inside that, that wall were uh, military. All of them were, were either active duty in the Navy or worked for the Navy, all Americans, and the compound was run by Filipinos, but we, they were all Americans in there. And um, one Friday, Good Friday, we were getting ready to go to church for Good Friday on the base. And we started to drive our car. And the, the man who ran the compound, his name was E. King. I don't know what his real name was. That's just what we called him. But he waved his arms and he says, you're not going to be able to drive through town today. And we said, why? And he says, well, the parade. And you could see through the gate. I mean, the whole, there was no way. So we walked. It was only, it wasn't even a mile. It was just less than a mile. But so we were going to walk. And I was probably seven years old, maybe. I don't know, six years old, seven. I don't know. But I remember walking with our family. And as we're walking, this parade is happening. And you know how you can see through people as you're walking, kind of see through the bodies. Maybe I was short enough to see through their legs. I don't even remember. But all I remember is seeing people crawling on the, on the street. And I remember distinctly seeing this older lady, and she was, had her hands up, and she was kneeling, crawling. And I just remember thinking, what? Is, and I kept remember trying to ask my parents, what is happening? What's going on? But they, you know, in the crowd, and they're trying to drag us through the crowd and get us going or whatever. And it wasn't until much later that what we saw then, I saw, literally saw a man carrying a cross, and he was bleeding, and there were people whipping him. And we were just thinking, what's going on? And then we found out later what that was was a procession on Good Friday where they reenacted the crucifixion. And these people were doing penance by crawling. I mean, literally bleeding. I mean, they were just crawling and kneeling and unbelievable. But they thought that that earned them salvation. And it's so sad. So sad. Because that's not how it works. How it works is because we believe in him, we are immediately then placed in relationship with Christ and not just in relationship, but seated with him in the heavenly realms, united with Christ. There is no working our way to that. There is no need to walk through a process of dark night of the soul. That is not scriptural and that is not intended. And Christ didn't intend that. Nobody even wrote about that in scripture. It's nowhere in there. Having said that, I have to admit, and I know that there is a spiritual and psychological connection to our minds. And uh, over these last few years, I've met and I have friends, I know people who struggle deeply, deeply with depression, clinical depression. A really good friend of mine went through this, and um, I really felt horrible because we worked together in a church. I had no idea the depth of depression he was struggling with because he was embarrassed and he didn't tell us 
And uh, we just didn't know what was going on. All we knew is that there was some withdrawal happening, and we knew there was some confusion and occasional anger outbursts, and then we didn't know. And then he took a different position and moved, and it wasn't until years later that I found out that he was struggling with, with real clinical depression. Here's some of the things he described it to me as. He said, he said, I would wake up and have no ambition or motivation to even get out of bed. Now, this is one of the, the most creative people I've ever known. I mean, he could, he could have an idea and produce it. I mean, unbelievable things he could make happen. I mean, running websites and podcasts and doing ministry. It was unbelievable. So for me to think about how he could even feel this way, he'd say, he'd say nothing at all would interest him. He, he said that there were times where everything that used to give him pleasure in, in any way was, was absolutely uninteresting. Everything. Everything from, from favorite foods to uh, everything you can imagine just had no interest. He said if it wasn't for his children, he would just have sat in the dark for days and days and days. I, I personally have never experienced that. It was difficult even to understand. And part of me um, naively wanted to reactively just say, well, snap out of it. Well, what's wrong with you? Or pray your way out of it. Or you know what I mean? I mean, I felt like saying, shake it off. Come on, man. I mean, you know, remember when you were playing sports and you sprang your ankle and they'd say, walk it off. <laughs> just get back in there. I mean, I, I thought, well, can't you do something about it? And, and uh, it really broke my heart to hear about how, how many times he said, he goes, yeah, you know, all those side effects you hear, they read on the news for every drug. He goes, they're me. He goes, everything I would take, I would be the one with the rash and I would be the one with, um, you know, blackouts. And I mean, it was really, really sad. And he says, and you'd think one would work and then it would only work for two weeks and then he would drift. He said he felt like he was lost and drifting and he says, at times, he goes, I literally felt in physical pain. And I'll go to the doctor and they say, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just, it's in your head. It's depression. And um, I, I really, it, in those cases, I just want to encourage you that there are times where, where therapy and, and medication and support groups and those things are important and there's no shame in needing that kind of help. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to be clear about that. I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about, I'm talking about as Christians, there's times where we can dip into probably depression, but not that kind of depression. That's not what I'm talking about. I think that we could even go further and say, um, God speaks in dark times. I do believe that we all walk through times where it's dark or times where we find that it's more difficult than others to to connect with God or feel like we're connecting with him. I think there's times where based on circumstances in our life, like I might've mentioned before that either we bring on or other people bring on where we feel more or less connected with God. But like I said a a minute ago in a mature relationship with him, there are going to be more up times and then down times. And there are going to be ebbs and flows with that. But those are the times where where not only do you go back to the truths you know about him, that he cares for you, he loves you, he has not changed. I told the story before, but I have to tell it again because it just makes me laugh. Stories told of a, an older couple and they're, they're driving in their truck and they, 
they pull up to a light and there's a young couple and they have a bench seat, which doesn't hardly exist anymore. And she's sitting right next to him. And the wife says to the husband, oh, look at that. Remember when we used to sit like that? And he looks at her and he goes, I haven't moved. (laughs) And that's God. He never moves. He is always, always, always there. He is always there. Not only that, he's always pursuing you. He wants relationship with you more than you could ever imagine. That's why he sent his son in the first place. He never, ever moves, ever. God speaks during those times. There are times when you are hurting and you are down And the the last thing you want to do is look up and and reach out to him and you, you, you wallow in it and you feel bad and you feel sorry for yourself. But if you will look to him and listen, he is speaking sometimes more loudly then than any other time. Because the fact is, when we're riding high and we're just going and everything's working out great, most of us don't even think about him then because we're having a good time. And we're not looking to him, but sometimes it's when we're down and all you can do is look up that you're ready to listen. But the truth is he's always speaking, whether you're high or low, he's always, 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 always speaking. This moment of darkness could be an opportunity, an opportunity for you to hear something that you're not really ready to hear. It could be an opportunity for God to to speak to you and And maybe certain things in your life that you weren't really willing to die to when things were great, that now you're willing. Have you noticed this, that sometimes when we're down, we're we're ready to bargain with him? I think he laughs at us a lot. He says, bargain, really? Because he's looking at it, I just want to help you. And you're looking at it as, how little do I have to give up to have more of you? And he's saying, if you would just take more of me, then all that would drop away and you wouldn't even care because that's what he wants. He just wants you to have more and more and more and more of him. It was during one of these times that a songwriter wrote this song. It was a chorus that was popular probably in the 90s, but it, it said, where do I go when I need a shelter? Where do I go when I need a friend? Oh, I put it up there. Where do I go when I need some helping? Where do I go? Back on my knees again. Another, another song, older, a lot of, a lot of uh, artists have done it, even Whitney Houston. I mean, Dottie Rambo, a lot of people made this famous, but I want to read it to you. The reason I want to read it to you is because it's, it may be familiar, but it may not. But even if it's familiar, it's sometimes different to hear it read than sung because you can get caught in the, in the melody or the quality of the voices or whatever, the music style. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to hear it, <clears throat> the words. It says, where can I turn when there's no one else I can turn to? Who am I going to talk to when nobody wants to listen? I'm even trying to say it and not the way it's sung so it doesn't sound the same. Who am I going to lean on when there's no foundation stable? I go to the rock. I know that's able. I go to the rock. The next verse says, where can I hide till the storms have all passed over? Where am I going to run to when those winds of sorrow threaten? Is there a refuge in those times of great tribulation when my soul needs consolation? I go to the rock. And then the chorus says, I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. 
The earth all around me is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. And those songs are great because they, they put it in, in English words that rhyme and kind of have a ring to them for us. But <clears throat> better than that, I want to take us to Scripture again. And um, especially if you've been one that has struggled maybe with some of that, or maybe you're there today, maybe even just a little bit. Look at this. It's a very familiar scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, most of us stop there because we want it without the work. We want it without, you know, we just want it easy. It's funny, you know, a lot of people say, what's that easy button? I mean, that's what people want in life, isn't it? But that's not real life. That's not how life is. It's not like that for everybody. Maybe for a very, very few, but for most of us, it takes more like this. So 2911 is a powerful verse, and I love it, but 12 and 13 really are are how it works. In those days when you pray, I will listen. (laughs) He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You realize he's not hiding, right? He's not hiding from you. There have been times where I've, 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 I've talked to people who, you know, they act like, like God is difficult to communicate with or tough, and they, it's almost, they just don't get it. That's not who he is. He is not hiding from us. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. The problem is we look, but we don't look very hard, and we don't look wholeheartedly. Around our house, we have kind of a joke because... And maybe this is true with every house, I don't know, but you know how it is when somebody can't find something, who do they call? Mom. Sometimes that's because mom hid it or put it away, but that's my case. If I'm looking for something, it's because she put it somewhere where I didn't put it and I can't find it, but I'm totally kidding. But usually you call mom, and in our house, what mom says is, how about I'm going to go right where I told you it is, and I'm going to find it, and it's going to be right where I told you. And then, and then every one of our kids will say, no, I looked and looked. It's not there. And Nicole will say, did you move things around? Because if you move things around a little bit, you'll find it. Because people don't look that hard. But it's the same as true in your own life, because we don't look for him that hard. We don't. We want it easy. But he says if you look for him wholeheartedly, he will be found. He wants to be found. And this next portion of scripture is what has been ringing in my mind all since last week to share with you tonight. And that is uh, Psalm 121. It says, I look to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. He watches over your foot by day and night. The Lord himself watches over you, stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever, forever, forever and ever. So Dave, could you put some music on? And I want you to shut your eyes for a second. Everybody in the room. I want to say this. If you are struggling with depression, we would love to help if we can, but we want you to have help. If when I describe that dark night of the soul, you could relate more than than you care to admit, 
I want to pray with you, and I want, I want you to find relief from that. The fact is, no matter who you are, he wants more and deeper relationship with you. I read this the other day. I love it. As good as you are, you can get better. There's people in here who I'm sure as I've been talking the whole time you've thought, well, that's not me. I've never felt that. No, I've got a great relationship. I feel like I always connect with him. I connect with him 24-7. And if that is you, as good as you are, you can be better. Here's the thing. You can, you can be as close to him as you think is possible, and there's more. There is more. You will never find the depth of God and who he is and the relationship that he wants with you. You will never find that depth because there's more to him than you can imagine and there's more in you that he wants to do than, he's, than you've even done up till now. You can do it. I, <clears throat> I want to pray with you, but then I want to release you to pray. And my, my challenge to you is to look wholeheartedly to him for the next few minutes. We are ending a lot earlier than normal with no worship and all. But I want to encourage you. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to stay in here for 30 minutes and pray, but I do want you to take some time and just, just cry out to him, God, I want more of you. So let me pray that over you, and then I'm going to release you to pray as long as you feel like you want to pray, and then you are free to go whenever you want to go. That is totally fine. Father, I pray for us. You know what? I'm going to pray for us, but I'm going to pray for me.